Hi, this is Areej Noor, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Wrap, a weekly radio show weaving conversations about culture, politics, literature, art and music into a weekly mix. Broadcast live on Triple R from Kulin Nations land in Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Rachel Kavanagh is a proud Minjigbal woman and director of the Indigenous Working Group at the Forest Stewardship Council of Australia. She's done some amazing work in the area of bushfires and is on the line to give us some insights into bushfire management in Australia and to chat a little bit um, about the Sydney Science Trail. Rachel, thanks for joining me. No worries. So it seems um, that COVID has overwhelmed and consumed most of our attention in the last seven or eight months. Um, And for those of us not directly impacted by the bushfires of last year and early this year, we may forget, you know, the extent to which they devastated the lives of many people and, and animals. Rachel, what was your experience when we were in the thick of it in terms of the bushfires? What was that period like for you? Uh, Look, it was pretty intense. Um, I am a full-time firefighter, so we're in the thick of it come, um, you know, December, January last year. But, you know, just to put things in perspective, up here on the far north coast of New South Wales, we were actually fighting fire, like crown fires right now. So very different time this year round, which is is a bit of a relief. But I think, you know, the word that's being thrown around is, you know, unprecedented fire, you know, weather. So, yeah, I think it's, I think all, for everybody who either lived through it or were fighting it or in some form of support, it was just something that n- no one had ever, mm. you know, witnessed before. So, yeah, it was really full on. Yeah. And not to kind of ask an, an obvious question, but this is something that I feel like oftentimes is a cause of conflict or a cause of some issues but generally speaking in Australia there are fires that happen you know across the country quite often I'm in Victoria so pretty familiar with how persistent they can be particularly in summer yeah um but what are the reasons why bushfires happen what where does it stem from I know there must be many oftentimes they're contested but from your perspective what do you see look we've always you know as a as a Aboriginal person as a miserable person we've had fire in our landscape forever Mm -hmm. it's you know we live with it it's something that we use um, for numerous different things so I think the issue that we it's not the only issue I think but it's hard because the lack of good fire methodology has helped create these extreme fire events so the fact that we have like a fire regime that agencies and that use within Australia that is not designed for the Australian landscape mm. is a big issue. And we've got to look at, you know, land management and how we're actually using the land as well because that's another, you know, layer to why the fires are so bad. We've got more and more like population growth and the communities are growing and people are moving further and further into the forest or the bush. And if you're not managing that properly, we're going to have these extreme events and people will lose their homes and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a big picture sort of um, management and there's not just one answer to how we fix it, but 
fire has been around for a really long time and, and we can live safely with it. We just need to look at look at what we're doing and how we can grow and live with it, I mm. suppose. And what isn't happening at the moment? Like you, you mentioned that there is not a particularly holistic fire management plan or one that relates to the fact that we're here in Australia and not elsewhere or something that's possibly not researched well enough or whatever. But what what are some things that are being done wrong, do you think, and what are some things that you think we can actually change? I know that it's a big question, but um, it seems relentless in Australia, um, these fires and, you know, would it just be a yeah, matter of definitely. people not people just not living in certain areas or what is that you know what what can actually be done no look i don't think it's about um you know like i think if you if you're going to go and live in the thick of it then it just means that your risk is higher in that mm. in that space but when it comes to what are we doing and what aren't we doing the lack of fire since colonisation, the lack of good fire in our landscape and our intent around why we use fire has definitely changed. And we're using, you can, you can look at the agriculture sector, you know, we're using Western agricultural practices in Australia that don't fit to our landscape. Mm. So when we look at fire regime, we're using fire that doesn't fit our landscape. So this time, you know, traditional times, at this time of year, you would see fires up and down the whole east coast of Australia. Mm. So looking at now, you can't see there's nothing happening. So it's, it's ideally if um, First Nations people who have the capacity were resourced properly mm. um, for long-term resourcing, that is, to be able to get out there and manage country and manage the forest, it's a tool to move forward. It means that we'll be putting the right type of fire in for the right type of forest. We'll be reading the landscape and reading the country with the local people to be able to manage that, that fire space in each area. It's not a one, you know, one size fits all. Um, it's very different. We use fire in, in different areas. It's like, you know, up in the Cape, or up in Savannah country, the way that they use fire is very different to how we use it here on the coast or, you know, the heathlands and all of that sort of stuff. So we need to look at those types of specifics as well and really look at the fire ecology and what's happening. And, you know, we have a lack of fire in the forest, which means that there's a build-up of weed and, and, you know, like even native weeds and all of that sort of stuff and a monopoly of species in the understory, which is creating, you know, really thick, dirty scrub. And that's what's creating the high fuel loads. And then you add in different, you know, other environmental impacts, which is, you know, no rain and drought and mining and, the you know, the rest of it. It just creates this horrendous thing that we saw last fire season. So I think it's something that we, it's not just fire we need to look at. I think we need to look at the whole aspect of yeah. how we how we want to use country and how we want to like live on it and live with it. Yeah. In the last kind of year or so, I think more prominent have been the conversations about Indigenous fire management and burning practices and, you know, what they mean in Australia and have we been doing it all wrong? And, you know, there have been a few more articles in the media and a few more conversations in the mainstream. You know, we know these conversations have been happening for a long time, but at least in the mainstream that's kind of come to light in the last um, year or two. 
what practically um, does that look like? You know, how would it work in this context? You mentioned having um, Indigenous people manage different areas and be able to uh, do the right thing and do what they've been doing for a long time across the country. But practically when it comes to, you know, (laughs) Australia and people having the capacity, particularly First Nations people having the capacity to go and care for country and, and do things that are really important for country, it seems that what happens is government kind of intervenes. Like in Victoria at the moment, the Jaburong birthing trees, it's been an issue for such a long time, um, one that has been a fight for so long and there, the government has been kind of relentless in that in that fight and has kind of not backed down at all. So what would need to change for this to actually happen? <laughs> oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, look, it's we we as you know First Nations Mob aren't going to stop that fight to care for country in whether it's in you know about the birthing trees in Victoria or you know the the massacre sites up here on the you know the Pacific Highway or you know over in Perth. It's it's something that we will always fight for. The problem is is definitely legislation and government barriers. But what we can do to move forward is actually get true and real investment in traditional science. Mm. Um, It's something that everybody is turning to um, and talking about, not just in, you know, not just in conversations on the street, but agencies everywhere. Like, you know, the amount of conversations and panels and and all of that that... that, um, you know, people are calling on the the experience of First Nations people to have that conversation. It, it's re- it's there. I think what we and we're all calling for for real investment um, and to be resourced for long term, not just these lots of short. You know, like thirty grand here and thirty grand mm. there, and you can only use it this way and you can only use it that way. We need to be able to um, just have that real investment where we can manage it and use it the way that we need to and we know how to use it instead of being governed with all of these barriers around, you know, you can't have this and, you know, you can't be used for that. And, you know, different agencies have different legislation as well. Some agencies say that you can't benefit from cultural practices, which pretty much wipes out all of our caring for country um, things that we do because it is a cultural practice. Um, you know, we don't separate anything that we do when it comes to ceremony or caring for country or culture or, you know, or our water or land. Like, it's all one. And I think once once government actually see, actually invest, they'll see the changes that we've been talking about for such a long time come through, which will then make it easier once they see those things happen. But, um, but until then, we just got to keep fighting because government will always as they have done, um, sort of just sort of try and manage all of it, I suppose, yeah. is, is what I'm trying to say. So, But outside of that, that's what we just need real investment. The, mm. the communities across Australia, not just on the East Coast, but across Australia, we've got the capacity and the ability to be able to manage our own lands. So it just comes down to partnering, whether it's on a federal or state or even local government um, space and we start partnering with agencies and private property owners and doing all of that sort of stuff and looking at the holistic view and approach to traditional land management in a you know contemporary space like 
you know, I think, you know, that's... Yeah. That's the easy answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the easy. If we could just do that, that would be really, really great. It's amazing also because we think about climate change in this conversation, of course, and yeah. one thing that we've not been very good at here in Australia from like a big structural level, from a governmental level, federal government level, has been climate change, has been, you know, the real need to mine this country for resources um, kind of relentlessly and so there are so many kind of pieces to this puzzle about you know holistic care of this country and what that might look like and of course those answers are with First Nations peoples. Um, You mentioned that you were there were lots of conversations that were being had and the reason why we've connected on the radio today is because um, of the Sydney Science Trail for National Science Week program and you actually did your conversation yesterday morning Australian Fires Impacts and Opportunities. Tell us a little bit about how that went um, and then I will give um, everyone some tips on how to jump online and re-watch that. Yeah, look, it was really good. It's it's great that these conversations are starting to be had in on every level. Mm. Um and I think the the bushfires really impacted on everybody, especially our children, like you know, and our youth. I think we'll we'll see a bit of that coming out, but so it was really good to be able to engage with um, predominantly with students. Like yesterday was all about the the kids, and you know, so that was. And they always ask the hard questions. Like the kids are, kids are pretty hard, um, but they they ask some really good questions. And you know, the panel yesterday there was a few of us, a fire ecologist and um, a botanist, and you know. A physicist who talks about all the smoke in the air, and it was like it was really awesome because we all work in the same field, but it, you know we're all very experienced in it, but in very different ways. So it was sort of we all had that sort of collective view as well. So that was um, that was really good. Awesome, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining me this morning for your time and for all the awesome work that you're doing. No worries. Rachel Kavanagh is a proud Minyungwu woman and director of the Indigenous Working Group at the Forest Stewardship Council of Australia. She's part of the Sydney Science Trail for National Science Week program this year and she spoke on a panel yesterday called Australian Fires, Impacts and Opportunities. You can check out heaps more amazing online events including a session about women in STEM and the relationship between art and science. You can also check out the conversation that Rachel was part of yesterday on the sydneysciencetrail.net.au website. Website. There's lots of info there. Um, if, you, if you've got kids and they're interested in this kind of stuff, interested in science, they can sign up. It's all online, even though, <laughs> you know, we're in, a lot of us are in Melbourne and, and they're in Sydney. Um, and you can jump on, like I said, sydneysciencetrail.net.au. Sarissa Grant is a Walpuri, a Jowan and Gurindji woman who was just appointed as First Nations Community Engagement and Social Worker with Support, uh, Support Act. Sarissa, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, good. It's funny, we were just talking off air about like, you know, what have you been up to? What's the work like? And you were like, hey, I just started. So just just starting to, you know, do the things that normal people do when they start a new job. It's so awesome that you're in this role. Tell me a little bit about the work that you've done in the past with regards to supporting people um, and how that relates to the work that you're doing now. Yeah, um, so previously I worked um, within child protection, um, as so up in the Northern Territory in Catherine as a case support worker, um, and just giving the managers 
the case managers there some support with, um, you know, dealing with First Nations people. Um, and then I moved to Melbourne three years ago and started working for VACA. And within that, um, I worked um, in Aboriginal child protection as well and then moved to an Aboriginal liaison role where I supported families, um, like with finance, with mental health and whatever they needed support with um, just to keep them out of the system. Mm. And recently I started a role with support, actually. So. <laughs> Woo! Um, it is awesome that you're in this role and it might seem like somewhat far removed that you worked in such a kind of social work, um, casework capacity and now in this role, but it, it actually isn't. Tell me a bit about the role with Support Act and how it will kind of speak to the other skills that you have acquired over the years. Yeah, so Support Act, um, why it was so appealing to me because about a year ago um, I started working within the music industry doing events um, so I do events with the Barpadilla Foundation um, and we support First Nations um, people within music um, and and I'm also an artist manager. So that kind of ties into the, to the Support Act role as well as my previous work. Um, and when it came up, it was um, the perfect role for yeah. me because I love doing social work. And I love um, working within music. So, um, yeah, that's how I kind of got attracted to it. Um, And I'm already supporting people within music with the Barpadilla Foundation. So, And this is more around the mental health side um, of the music industry and being within the industry, I can see how... Um, you know, fast musicians get burnt out um, from working within the industry. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I thought this is perfect for me. It is perfect for you and it's really amazing that you're in this role because I think sometimes we, you know, and this has kind of come up and bubbled up to the surface since the beginning of COVID-19 and the fact that we couldn't, you know, we can't go see live music but we recognise how important music has been for our sense of self as people, at, for, at, for myself, I would say, as someone who presents on radio, but as someone who listens to a lot of music. Um, and sometimes we divorce the art from the actual person who is a human, who is dealing with the fact that they can't perform, who might not have the same income that they had um, this time last year, who is dealing with the fact that maybe there aren't proper mental health care supports like you would have in, in you know, a more traditional workplace where there's, you know, the you know, you can call a counsellor through your workplace or you can do all of that stuff um, and you're absolutely right, musicians do get burnt out. So how will you uh, support ACT, support First Nations artists within the context of, you know, not just the music stuff but the other life stuff? Um, so in the midst of coronavirus, we currently have... Um, a COVID-19, um, you know, crisis grants um, for all all musicians. But we recently um, have... Well, we've been working on doing a dedicated um, First Nations support line for Indigenous people. 
So that would be up on the website soon and people, First Nations, can access that, um, you know, if they're feeling burnt out or feeling, you know, the struggles of where they're at now with the whole, whole COVID. So we um, we provide, you know, um, counsellors within that. We can get them First Nations counsellors mm-hmm. if they feel like they, they would, um, you know, want someone that has a culturally sound background mm-hmm. um, with counselling um, and finance as well. That's that's a huge one at the moment um, because the industry has completely um, lost all, it, all of its live music, so, mm-hmm. which a lot of the artists were so dependent on. Yeah. yeah. And artists as well as crew and other music workers, even publicists, yeah. even, you know... Um, independent managers and independent labels, like it's such a big hole and I think sometimes we forget that in order for there to be a robust music scene, there needs to be like live music and artists need to be supported across the board. How can people get in touch with um, yourself but also Support Act and um, and how can they find out about what all the stuff that Support Act is providing will look like and how they can access it? Um, well, First Nations people, anyone can come to me, message me. Um, so my email is carissa, C-E-R-I-S-A, at supportact.org. Um, contact me, reach out if you, if, you need, if you feel like you need any mental health or financial support um, uh, and you want to speak to a First Nations person. But otherwise, we've got the website as well that they can go to. Um, you know, Facebook page and Instagram page. Um, yeah, and that's how you can contact us. Awesome. Uh, Sarissa, it's been so great to chat with you and I'm really glad that you're in this role. I think sometimes we forget why it's important for there to be specific support for specific communities Um, and I think the music industry in Australia is great in many ways but also is very lacking in a lot of ways and and I think it's really great that you're in this space supporting First Nations artists in the way that, you know, they deserve to and are entitled to be supported because the music is so important, the art is so important, but most importantly, the people are really, really important to um, our community. So I think it's really great that you're doing this work. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to be at Support Act, and so thankful for my team. They're really lovely and supportive, and um, I can't wait to bring more Indigenous people to Support Act and get them the support they need. Because I see a lot of struggling. Um, music industry people mm. as First Nations and I think this is a great initiative so I'm, I'm really excited to get it all rolling. Awesome. Thank you, Sarissa. I'll, get, I'll let you get back to, you know, starting the job and like doing all yeah. the paperwork <laughs> and all of the important stuff um, but we'll no doubt chat again soon. Thanks, Sarissa. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Sarissa Grant is a Walpuri, Jawan and Gurindji woman who was just appointed as First Nations Community Engagement Social Worker with Support Act. If you need any information as a First Nations artist or any artist, you can jump on the Support Act 
website. They have heaps of um, support, lots of support links there. Uh, If you need counselling, if you need any financial support, there's lots of stuff on the website. On the Facebook page as well, there's constant updates. If you do need anything, we know that it's kind of tough out there. Um, for a lot of our artists and our musicians. And so this is really special and really important. And it's fabulous that Sarissa's in this role. I don't think Adam Briggs needs much of an intro, especially here on Triple R, but he is a rapper. He's a record label owner, a comedy writer, an actor, an author, a whole heap of things. And now he's releasing an EP at the end of this week. Um, Briggs, how you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? <laughs> Great. Pretty good. Um you haven't necessarily released a project in a while. A project, not a, a musical project, maybe, I'll say. Um, you've been pretty busy, it seems. What have you been up to? Well, like, after Shep Life, we had, like, I did, like, The Children Came Back. And, um, you know, we did the track here. And then mm-hmm. we did AB Original, <laughs> um, Reclaim Australia, which, you know, won a whole gang of awards. Yes, it did. And then I... You know, I I wrote some TV, um, I wrote a kid's book. You know, it it wasn't like I wasn't busy. No, exactly. I mean, it's clear that you were pretty busy. You've had, like, quite a lot happening. I've seen you pop up in so many random contexts as well, not just the music stuff, which is where I know you from originally, but in the children's book, um, on TV, in the screenwriting stuff. Um, and then, of course, you do a lot of work as part of Bad Apples, which is a label and um, supports lots of First Nations artists. How's it been for you doing all of this stuff um, in the midst of COVID in the last six months? What have you managed to get uh, done? COVID definitely, like, because I do so many different things, it's like I can focus my energy onto what I can do in lockdown and, you know, within COVID, um, obviously live shows, have been, like, you know, cut back and mm. obliterated at the moment. But, um, you know, I try to focus my energy on stuff that I can do. So, you know, it's helping, you know, other artists on, on Bad Apples, mm. you know, get their music out. Like, I I did the, um, the a COVID uh, fundraiser through my not-for-profit, uh, Barpadilla. Um we raised some money to be able to give uh, grants and and help, you know, Indigenous artists in Victoria, like, um, get their, uh, you know, keep keep creating. Mm. And, you know, if they needed stuff to, for a home studio because they're in lockdown, they were able to apply to the Barpadilla Foundation with their, um, with their needs and, you know, and we could help out a, a bunch of different artists. So, yeah, I was just like, because I was pretty good, I just tried to help you know, other people around me so they, you know, stay creating and stay busy, you know what I mean, stay occupied. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's wild because I think for some people this time is like completely overwhelming and just distressing and for others it's a time to focus and like recenter yourself and deal with all of the stuff that you would have probably ordinarily been doing and kind of focus yeah. on one thing and so it is, well, yeah. Like, I, I, I was never trying to be like, you know, like, just lording it out in the pandemic or anything like that. Like that wasn't the, that wasn't the, um, that wasn't the goal because like, it's a serious thing, you know, people's health is, is no joke. And, and, you know, people have died from, you know, from this virus. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not a game to me. It's just, I just try to adapt and deal with the environment that, that I'm in, you know Mm. what I mean? So 
what I normally do, you know, has to change and adapt. And so that's all I tried to do. Yeah, absolutely. Last time I saw you play was actually my last show or the last um, festival or gig that I went to in Australia, which was Womad Adelaide in March. So as soon as Womad was over, I came back to Melbourne and it was like five days and we were in lockdown and we kind of haven't been out of lockdown since. And that was the last show I saw you do was at Womad. Was that your last show? Uh, I can't remember. I think so. (laughs) I'm trying to remember when the... um I think it must have been because, like, the, the the bushfire benefit was before that. Yeah. So that was it. Yeah, that was the last one. And that was a good one to go, you know, sign off on. <laughs> it was a good one. And I also saw you perform um, with Spin Effects Gum when they had their set and you jumped on um, with them. You've done a bit of work with that crew. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, it was just through Felix. Like, he reached out um, for me to, to um, be a part of their, their album. Um, I jumped at the opportunity and was like, yeah, of course, like, you know, let's put something together, get it done. And like, you know, we've, we've done a whole stack of shows. It's just been a bit of a blur. Like, as you can imagine, <laughs> my schedule's pretty, um, pretty jammed. So I just try to, um, I just try to stay on top of things and just, you know, whatever's across the desk that day is what I deal with. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, every time I work with the choir and, you know, the girls are always so much fun and good energy. So it, it's never a chore. It's always, it's always something um, to look forward to. Yeah, they're pretty, pretty special. So um, tell me about Go to War and this single with Thelma Plum. Um, I think that, you know, there is a sense that folks are constantly going to war. First Nations people are constantly going to war um, for a lot of reasons, metaphorically and, of course, you know, literally. Tell me a little bit about the track and, and what you were thinking. Uh, well, the track is the oldest track on the EP. We kind of wrote it probably a year and a half, maybe two years ago. It was finished. Like, so it was mm. definitely the oldest track. And, you know, when we dropped it, everyone was like, oh, it's so timely. I was like, yeah. <laughs> it just shows how far it we have It always come, is. You know what I mean? In two years. Every time you talk about yeah. Indigenous issues, it's always timely. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, that says a lot about, you know, our progression as a, as a nation. Um, so the track was just like, you know, me and Sally just wanted to write this song that was like a, uh, like just an intense kind of, you know, like, joint that we wanted to make you know what I mean like it was just like this this moment was like you know where everything's said and done and it's like there's only one way left and it's like it's it's all out war you know what I mean uh, that was the whole premise of it like just that release you know of, of this of creating something like this is is always good fun in the studio and um you know we when when I made the video for it I wanted to tell, like, as I normally do with my videos, I wanted to tell a bigger picture, a bigger story about, um, you know, the Indigenous experience in Australia mm. and, um, you know, blackfellas having to adapt and, and walk in, in two worlds. Yeah. Yeah. And the video is pretty amazing. I would definitely recommend folks jump on and check it out. And the track also is... Amazing. So this EP always yep. was. Tell me a little yep. bit about it. Is there a, is there a theme? Where are we going with it? Uh, well, it was. I was making an album, and I was like, I, I need to put out some music 
ASAP before everyone thinks I'm dead. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I wanted to take six songs that we were kind of working on for the for the album, and um, and so we could like show the the trajectory mm. of of where the the album's going to be. And, like, I wanted six songs that could stand by themselves as singles and, like, six different pieces of art. Like, that's why I've got, you know, Rico Rennie Mm -hmm. doing um, six different patterns and backgrounds for each each single, you know what I mean? So each one stands on its own. And, like, you know, I guess the overall theme for the EP mostly is just about um, the work ethic and, and hard work that, you know, that we put in. Trials produced the majority of it. Mm-hmm. JT produced a joint, which is the inverse of my very first EP I did back in like 2008, <laughs> 2009 maybe, the olden days. Um, homemade Bombs, where JT produced the most of it. Uh, so yeah, this EP is just, it's like a good, like, foot back, you know, in the square to be like, I'm home. Mm. And the album's coming, and here's a taste of what it's going to sound like. It's good to get new music from you, Briggs. You've, like, dropped some bangers that I don't know if you knew would end up being bangers that are just played in any context, kind of big protest songs as well, um, I'm sure was, you know, active for you. But, like, there are some tracks that you um, have have released through AB Original or just through your own work, like obviously January 26th, that are just huge, right? They've completely exploded and have moved on to have a life of their own almost. Yeah. What does... That's what music should do, right? Yeah, absolutely. You release it out and then that's it. It's not up to you anymore. People take it and they, you know, do what they need to do with it or it becomes something for them. Um that is really important. And I know that January 26 is one that is, is that for people and there's so much in that track. But what does it mean when you are a musician and you've dropped this banger that or these bangers that just kind of take on a life of their own? What's the experience like for you as a musician? Uh, it's a bit different for me because, like, once I've made something and put it out, I kind of move on from it. So, like, I'm already on to the next project and working on the next thing. Mm. Um, and so, like that's what the music for me is about. It's like, once I put it out there, it's yours. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's yours. Like, you take that and you run with it. And if it speaks to you and speaks for you, you know what I mean? Like, have it. Mm. Have it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't I don't really think too much about it after I've done it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think that's just because, like, I'm always working on something else. It sounds like you're, um, yeah, exactly. It sounds like you don't have time to. No, I, I, and I, pause and... the thing is, is like, I, I appreciate it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when someone says, oh, I love that joint, or, you know, this helped me get through this, or this helped me understand that, I'm like, word, it's working then. You mm. know what I mean? Like, cool. Yeah. Have a good day. I've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go write a children's book. Yeah, I've got something else to do. <laughs> I've got something else to do. No, I mean, it is really great to have some new music for you, especially at this time. Really f- looking forward to um, the EP Always Was. Briggs, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's a perfect time to drop an EP. We've got that captive audience. So 100%. Tune in. That, I mean, nobody Shout has anything else to do. In Melbourne, <laughs> all my homies in Melbourne doing it hard right now on the lockdown. Mm-hmm. I feel for you. I miss home. I'm in Sydney right now, mm. but as soon as I can, I'll be back. Yeah. 
Thank you so much. I'm going to play Go to War now, and the EP drops on Friday. Friday. Let's yep. go. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's The Wrap, a weekly radio show weaving conversations about culture, politics, literature, art and music into a weekly mix. Broadcast live on Triple R from Kulin Nations land in Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and if you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.